Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you. And John, I I can't say I was gobsmacked uh, because we have had so many of these judicial deference cases come along that at this point I'm a, I'm a little bit uh, inured to the the whole concept of of judicial deference to to federal agencies. But I'm going to say I was gobsmacked anyway because I like that word. There, I learned about a new kind of deference this week. And we've been at this for almost five years. Our five year, our fifth anniversary gala is coming up on on June 7th uh, here in, in DC. So NCLA has been at this for a while. I had never heard of Cassell deference. I'm not even exactly sure how to pronounce it. C-A-S-S-E-L-L. I think Cassell, like like the, the old uh, NBA uh, guard, Sam Cassell. But it could be Castle deference. That sounds more uh, more foreboding. Maybe it's castle deference, but in any event, I'm reading this this uh, this case out of the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Come to find out, the D.C. Circuit, uh, maybe alone among circuits, I I haven't I haven't uh, yet uh, figured out how widespread this nefarious practice is. The D.C. Circuit has a form of deference where it defers. See if you can follow the thread here. Defers to agencies own interpretations of those agencies past adjudications so we we know about we know about chevron deference that's deference to an agency's interpretation of a statute we know about our slash kaiser deference that's an agency's interpretation to a judge's deference to an agency's interpretation of its own regulations this is i guess the uh the third head in the three-headed monster of uh, of deference to to agencies this is an agency's own past adjudications and you might you know your first instinct on this might be well you know what's what's wrong with that uh you know, who who knows better what the agency meant than the agency's own uh, adjudicator well a couple of couple of flaws with this and and before i go further i should say this is uh case number 20-1330 out of the dc circuit ngl supply wholesale LLC v. Federal Energy Regulatory uh, Commission. And this was uh, on petition for review of an order uh, of FERC. And at this point, from from what I can tell, uh, this case is on petition for rehearing and rehearing on Bonk at the D.C. Circuit. I don't believe the D.C. Circuit has ruled on that uh, rehearing request yet, which appears to have been uh, filed last month. But uh, uh, if if it has already ruled, then, uh, then this may be up for uh, a cert petition in front of the Supreme Court uh, soon. But, but in any event, and, and there are a couple of issues in this in this case having to do with uh, statutory interpretation uh, issues, as as is uh, often the case. And the, uh, I, I guess, John, the 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 background here or the accusation that that the uh, petitioner has is that uh, Phillips sixty six pipeline LLC operates what should be a common carrier pipeline 
and that okay. it, but that it's doing so for the sole benefit of its affiliate, the Phillips uh, 66 company, and that it did this through some different maneuvers that FERC had had condoned, and that uh, and that FERC has not uh, adequately responded to NGL's uh, arguments as to why what FERC has has done here is, is inappropriate. I will be quick to say I don't know anything about this, those statutory interpretation issues. I don't know who has the better of the argument between NGL and Phillips 66 about this particular pipeline dispute. That is not what I want to focus our attention on. What I want to focus our attention on is this pernicious idea that a judge, an Article Three judge, might defer to an agency's interpretation of its own past uh, adjudications. And, and why is that? Well, John, you may, you may have some additional reasons to add to this, but let me start with two reasons why I think uh, that this is such uh, a bad idea. First of all, it's very difficult from a rule of law standpoint to when you're dealing when you're trying to uh, adjust your own conduct in advance to avoid the cut of of a law uh, or of a of an understanding to say that uh, to to pay attention to agency adjudications. I mean, this is a, a fairly uh, FTC does the same thing, John. I've heard you. Uh, yes. complain about it before that they, they you know they put out a hundred decisions on privacy and then if if you want to know whether you can do something or not they say here go read these hundred decisions or go read these hundred settlement agreements and then you can deduce from there uh, a lot of times in those settlement agreements they haven't even admitted that they did anything wrong but you're supposed to deduce from that what you can and can't do going forward that is so much more opaque than a rule uh, is and it's just not it's not a good way for these regulatory agencies to conduct themselves. It's not a, it's not a transparent way to let folks know what is and isn't uh, allowed. So that's, that's maybe the first problem I have with this. The second problem is this creates a giant uh, loophole in the notice and comment rulemaking process. If an agency doesn't have, I mean, it, it takes a lot of effort for an agency uh, as much as we don't like it sometimes, as much as we think that agencies, uh, even in the rulemaking process, do things they shouldn't do, exceed their statutory authority, et cetera. At least in the rulemaking process, there's some advance notice. There's some opportunity to, to comment. There's, there's, a, you know, there's a, you can watch what's happening. There's a, there's a process to it. If instead of having to go through a notice and comment rulemaking process to define some particular conduct as unlawful or or to clarify that a statute encompassed that uh, activity as being unlawful, to, to be more precise. Uh, if instead of doing that, an agency can say, oh, oh, Mr. Vecchioni, uh, you're, you're in violation of the statute. What, what do you mean? What did I do? Oh, well, look here, we had this decision five years ago that applied to this different set of facts. And we're going to, we're going to say that that also encompassed the uh, set of facts uh, in your case. Wait, what? My, my facts look very different from those facts. Ah, but you know, we not to us. You know, we put on our uh, our agency uh, glasses here, and we think that uh, we've already been clear enough that that the conduct that you did was was not appropriate under this this prior uh, ruling in a different case, and therefore uh, you're you're out of luck. And it just seems to me that that you're you're baking into the cake, John, a, a lot of indeterminacy and a lot of a, of wiggle room for the agency uh, to look, even change its mind w without saying so, right? When it, if an agency does a, a rule or regulation and then it changes its mind about 
how that how it wants that rule or regulation to apply. It has to repeal that rule or amend that rule, and it has to explain its reasoning for doing that. All of that goes out the window here, doesn't it? If if you're yeah. just <clears throat> well, I think that's adjudication. I think that's right, and I think that it's kind of odd that this stage we're hearing of this deference, uh, this deference theory. Um, when we've been doing this for many years and, and I'd never heard of it before. And of course it, it will, it, it expands, it will do what you're saying, but it will also make finding out what the law is more difficult. You, how are you going to know what the law is? At least even a regulation, they print them, they put it, they have a huge federal register of them. Some of these cases are not going to be publicly and easily available. They're not going to show up on even Westlaw. No, I think that's I think that's right. I think it's it makes the the law much tougher to to get a hold of, and and then you know we haven't even really talked about the deference aspect of this, right? So you're, uh, and this is this case is a good example. So there, as far as I can understand, there was never a trial in this matter because when you have these rules that are being challenged, uh, or uh, and even though we're talking about deference to an adjudication, it's in the it's in the context of a petition for review of a FERC order. So FERC, FERC had some sort of order here. NGL opposed that order, and uh, that goes straight to the the Court of Appeals, doesn't it? I think I think that's I guess I I would need to to double check the procedural history. I believe history that's what here, happens. That's what happens. That's what happens. FERC. They do so, not they do not go to the district court. I'm almost positive. Yeah, and so so you're. So you're sitting there in in the court of appeals as a matter sort of first instant instance, and the and the federal judges, the three judges on the panel that are looking at this, their first move is to defer to the agency's own interpretation. Well, this gets us back to all the problems we've talked about with all these other kinds of deference, right? You, how is it due process for NGL if the federal judges that they're uh, sitting in front of to, and asking to make the decision, these supposedly independent judges? are instead deferring to the agency's interpretation of this past adjudication that's in dispute. Uh, that is that is a violation of due process. That is not a fair trial or a, a fair hearing on this uh, on the lawfulness of this FERC order uh, for NGL. Uh, that that's a problem. It's a violation not just of due process. It's a violation of of the independence of the judiciary. There's so much love for deference doctrines in the D.C. Circuit. I'm not sure why. These judge, you would think that they had such a huge docket at the D.C. Circuit that they just didn't have time to actually decide these cases for themselves. But that's not true. The D.C. Circuit is the only the only court in the country other or the only federal court in the country other than the Supreme Court that takes a summer vacation. And they have more judges than they need on the D.C. Circuit right now in order to decide uh, these these cases. And yet they keep uh, they keep going back to these deference doctrines uh, to avoid deciding cases or. I guess they are deciding the case, but it's not them, right? They're they're leaving it up to the agency uh, interpretation to decide the case. I think that this is this is really troubling, and uh, and I think this one's even more troubling than Chevron deference or or our deference to me, John. I don't know where you would rank it, uh, but it seems pretty pernicious. Well, we do. I, I the secret law aspect of it is what really gets me because um, if if you defer to a regulation, you can go find it. But, but, but when you are, uh, if you don't have lawyers, for instance, or, or you're in a business where suddenly you're regulated, if this spreads to any regulated agency, 
what you have again you increase cost and you create and you create this secret law that is hard to find uh, until some problem arises and that's not that's not a good look it's not a good look and it's called Cassell deference or castle deference beware beware regulated in these in the DC circuit we'll be back with more right after this Welcome back to Administrative Static. Very excited uh, in this segment to have uh, our Director of Engagement at the New Civil Liberties Alliance back with us on Administrative Static. Clegg Ivey, welcome to Administrative Static. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, Always a lot of fun to get on here and talk about the King George III Prize for the Worst Violator of Civil Liberties. And uh, we're excited. We're down to the elitist eight the elitist eight that is a that not the elite eight (laughs) no the the elitist eight i love it i love it that's great yeah we've so we've got four matchups left and uh uh no surprises really on the top of the the top of the ticket the top of the bracket anthony fauci just storming his way into the elitist eight uh now facing off against merrick garland uh the attorney general the department of justice um and it's uh and everybody knows how can we pick just one reason for Anthony Fauci to have been nominated uh, this year, probably the one that we've gotten the most feedback on is his decision that I am the science. I am the science, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and, and and you know I feel bad for Merrick Garland. Who, and well, and I was going to say, and and don't forget that all of the bad things Fauci has done in 2022 are not taken into account for <clears throat> for this. And so, for example, the fact that he has said that he may be looking at retirement that doesn't. He doesn't get a pass for that. Oh, we 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 think he's trying to duck so he doesn't get nominated <laughs> for next year. And uh, just wait till we talk about Rochelle Walensky over at the CDC. Talk about somebody who's already done enough in early twenty two mm. to secure a nomination for twenty three. Wow. Okay. Uh, but but we'll 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 get there. So so Anthony Fauci. Uh, everybody knows this is a one two matchup in this bracket. Is it a one seed and a two seed? Fauci against Garland? Is it maybe? Oh no 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 no. Uh, the number two seed is Rochelle Walensky over there on the other side. Oh, but I thought there was the a bracket. one seed in every in every uh, yes in okay. every quadrant in every quadrant. Right. So in this quadrant, absolutely. So this is what we expected. We expected okay. Fauci to face off against Garland, um, and uh, and I just don't see based on the based on the input we've gotten. I don't see how Fauci is not just going to storm his way. There would have to be a flood of late votes for uh, There would have to be a flood. That, the okay. flagrant four is what's next. Ah, okay. And that flagrant four, I guarantee you, uh, we're probably going to see Anthony Fauci up there. Well, now, he's certainly been flagrant. So that He's was... certainly been flagrant. Now, kind of a similar situation. We've got Rochelle Walensky of the CDC up against Douglas L. Parker of OSHA. Now, it's now, too... is, this, is this the southeast bracket since the CDC is in Atlanta? Or uh, how <laughs> does right. that? That's right. Yeah, this <laughs> is the southeast bracket. That's exactly right. Um, and, and these folks are, uh, and it's funny because not only are they both, uh, you know, sort of this public health uh, style of nominees, but they both did kind of the same thing. The CDC decided it had the ability to pass an eviction moratorium. How in the heck does the Centers for Disease Control decide that they can change local property and landlord laws? Well, OSHA was like, hold my beer. We're going to make public health policy for 84 million Americans with no act of Congress, just just an agency sort of flying off, getting way over its skis. 
so you really, honestly, you just have to, uh, it's hard to pick between the CDC and OSHA here. Um, and I'm happy. Uh, one of them is definitely going to the flagrant four. And honestly, I don't care who. They're, uh, they're, <laughs> they're both they're, worthy winners. They're both worthy winners. Yes. Um, well, like many single uh, elimination format tournaments, there there may be more than one worthy winner at it, the end. But, it's, but only one can only one can can be on top. It's a little bit like that movie from the late '80s, The Highlander. There can be only one. Um, <laughs> this so, year. This year. So uh, I want to really, I really want to call attention to a a, a fun lower down um, matchup: Dennis McDonough of the VA and Rick Spinrad of the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Agency. Now, what? NOAA? How are they already in the flagrant, uh, in the elitist eight and well on their way to the flagrant four? The Oscars. The Oscars. The oh, Oscars. Was, there, was there a bump of, of support for uh, for NOAA coming out of the, uh, the So our, hopefully our listeners are familiar with the movie Coda, uh, which is about Northeastern fishermen. Specifically, these folks are from Gloucester, Mass., and the villain in Coda is a bureaucrat from NOAA who is enforcing on them the same kind of rules that we at the NCLA are, are suing NOAA over on behalf of both Northeastern fishermen and these Gulf South fishermen. I remember this at the Oscars. Will Smith was so upset about this that he went on stage and slapped Chris Rock. He right? did. That- he, he, he said, keep... Uh, he said, keep those Northeastern fishermen out my doggone mouth or something like that. <laughs> well, that might not have been exactly what happened, but you yes, know what? It, my, mem- it, my memory might be, right, might right, be wrong. But, but Coda did win best picture, best picture, best adapted screenplay and best supporting actor. And yeah. it's great. You know, the, the, the actual, uh, the bureaucracy and the, the, uh, constitutional abuse was a part of the plot of the film. So, um, so we, see it, see it if you haven't. Definitely see it if you haven't. And then and vote in the vote KG3. For, yeah, let's let's have it. And then lastly, we've got you know Phil Murphy, uh, governor of New Jersey, um, is going up against this, this Gary. Is, this is governor. Uh, the Constitution is above my pay grade, Murphy, right from New Jersey. I, I think the, that might have been the year before that he said that, but and same, he, same guy. And he was a nominee last year. He was. He he's was. A, he's a two-time loser. He's a t- <laughs> That's right. Uh, so we all know what he was up for. But Gary Gensler of the SEC. This is somebody that eked into the sour 16, but is come on strong because of everything that is happening with Elon Musk and Mark Cuban. Uh, yes. Uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with the, um, with what, what they're doing. The sec is doing with this gag rule. Um, and, and Mark Cuban has started sort of uh, tweeting about it and complaining about it. And more and more people are learning that when you, when the sec wins a suit against you in enforcement action, they tell the whole world. They practically have a parade down Wall Street uh, with your, and they burn you in effigy. <laughs> when the SEC loses, uh, then when they see that they're going to lose, oh, they force you in, into a settlement and they force you to sign a gag rule. You can't talk about the fact that you were innocent. And so what happens is no, the, no admit, no deny settlement, which I suppose could be fine if there weren't a gag rule associated with it. Uh, you know, there's something on both sides there with a no admit, no deny settlement, but. If it's no admit, no deny, and then they can talk about it, but but you can't. That that doesn't that doesn't really seem like a fair settlement, right? No admit, no deny is a great tool for allowing two parties to walk away. When uh, and and the problem is that the SEC enforcement action it makes you radioactive, and the whole time the SEC is saying to you, um, any witnesses you call, they say to those witnesses, boy, it'd be a shame if we had to investigate you. They say to your employer, wow, do you really want to have this person employed uh, who's under investigation? Their, your family, your business partners, everybody is tainted by this radioactive uh, radioactivity. And so you want to get rid of this thing as soon as possible. So when the SEC sees that they're losing, 
they they put a gun to your head and they say, well, why don't you just sign here? We'll do a no admit, no deny, but you can never tell anyone you're innocent. You can't talk about why, you can't talk about, and thus all of their losses don't become a precedent for future cases, for future enforcement actions. Well, and it keeps some of the some of the defendants from talking amongst themselves as well. It's like, oh, you went through this. This looks like my case. Yep. Let me tell you what they did to me so you can be ready for it. Kind of that, that sort of thing that happens in every other sort of defense context. I mean, certainly DOJ doesn't have these same kind of gag rules, and yet they manage every year to put people in prison at, over there at the Department of Justice. I'm not sure what why SEC feels like it needs this unfair advantage. But uh, so does that does that conclude the the four? Uh, Those are the four the, matchups. The four matchups. Okay. Well, so what what does the winner of it? Uh, well, so you already mentioned that that uh, uh, that that the the flagrant four is next. But but what does the winner of the flagrant four get? <laughs> well, Mark, we've got uh, we've worked with the craftsmen, uh, not at the Franklin Mint, but you know they're they're they're, they're just <laughs> the next best thing. the next best thing to the craftsmen, and we have created a trophy that has a three D a three dimensional sculpture of King George III in all of his resplendent and disdainful glory. Ah, very nice. Uh, and uh, the winner will be, they'll have their name and and their agency uh, bolted uh, right on that, right out of that trophy. And we hope that 10 years down the road, we can retire the trophy because we will have fought the administrative state and won. And, the, and in 10 years, we'll just have a bunch of uh, bureaucrats that we put to shame and stopped their abuse. Yes. So this is a permanent record of their, of their tyranny and their, uh, violations of civil liberties. They were the worst violator of civil liberty for whatever year they they win the prize, and their name goes on this trophy indefinitely. Indefinitely, and yes, and in in person, they will, we'll have a trophy case in the front office here at NCLA, uh, and maybe we'll have a parade and, uh, and go down Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue, or something exciting and fun. Uh, but that you know, people there is still time to vote. So uh, you know, we're posting about this on our social media. You can go to our page. Honestly, the easiest way is to just Google NCLA and King George III, and boom the first site that comes up um and and you can definitely vote for uh again fauci versus garland mcdonough versus spinrad walensky versus parker and murphy versus gensler those are your four matchups and then we'll be announcing the uh, uh the winners in early june and when do they need to get their votes in in order to to count before i assume there'll be another round of voting for the flagrant four but for this right. elitist eight to get to the flagrant four when does when does voting uh run through is this like through may may Fifth, sixth, something. Well, like I'm that. glad you asked, Mark. I think we're going to say that the last day of voting is on May the fourth. May the fourth. Yeah, it's a very, a very special holiday for some of us. <laughs> uh, you know, well, who are out there who know who you are, you know why May the fourth is a special and important holiday. May, may the fourth be with the future winner of the King George the Third Prize. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, the dark side of the force in this, in, in this case, I Absolutely. guess, with, uh, with Absolutely. these folks. So, uh, so I, I wanted to, to to let folks know too. The trophy bears a striking resemblance uh, to the caricature of King George III uh, on the uh, on the bracket. Uh, so I was, I have to say, thoroughly impressed with the quality of the trophy that you procured for the uh, for the distinguished uh, winners of this prize, losers of this prize. I'm not sure what the well. I, uh, so you know what? Let's do a shout out. There's an artist. His name is Ron Borison, um, and we commissioned Ron to do. The original illustration of King George III, um, and and he is a genius. You can see his art. Uh, Google him. Uh, he's an incredible illustrator. And 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 we had our, you know, we had him work with <clears throat> the sculptor to create a really, you know, a, a beautiful uh, sculpture based on Ron's original art. 
uh, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. And Ron, if you're out there, thanks, buddy. You're you're doing a you're doing a solid for the for the fight. Well, I think people will love this this trophy. I don't know that people will love to have their name on this trophy. I don't know that uh, that the winner is going to want to show up and and uh, uh, you know and, and claim this this prize. Mark, but, we're uh, driving Fauci into retirement. Well, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's been fun to watch this. Uh, you've been a, you've done you've done a great job with this tournament, getting us from from the 32 down to the sour 16 and now the elitist eight and, and pretty soon the flagrant four. Uh, so, so vote by vote by the fourth for the flagrant to get to the flagrant four. That's right. And then the final winner will be announced uh, at uh, NCLA's forthcoming fifth anniversary gala on June 7th. So we can be looking for that as well. Uh, Clegg, thank you for being on administrative static today. Thanks for the update.